Amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, Thank you for the four of you. I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year. My name's Aaron, pastor of New Community. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. And uh, obviously, uh, I'm alone in, in, in feeling that way. But I love you guys. I'm so excited. Hey, Christmas. Hope you guys had a great Christmas celebration and uh, hope you had a great time with your family and friends. And uh, one of the things that we did on New Year's Eve with my family, my daughters, Autumn, who's six, Eden, who's two, today, actually, happy birthday, Eden, and then my wife, Joy, we rocked the house. We played Hello Kitty Bingo. And we were up till 8 p.m. It was unbelievable. So, yes. Wow. I got more applause for that than my welcome. Okay. So glad you guys are here. Hey, turn, uh, turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 9. We are actually continuing on in the book of Luke. And uh, if you're new to the Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. We always love that. We're so glad that you're here. If you're new, love that. If you're, you've been coming some time, love that. Um, just great to be with you guys. So right now what we're going to do, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at a very familiar passage in the book of Luke. Many of you have seen this passage before. You're going to be tempted to check out. I want to challenge you, don't check out because relevance is going to speak to so many of us, and I'm praying in new and different ways. I know God was speaking to me in different ways as I was looking at this this particular week. Um, but Luke chapter 9, we're talking about the nature of discipleship. What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? And so we're going to look at some texts here. We're going to unpack some things there. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about three characteristics that characterize a follower of Jesus. Because oftentimes, sometimes we think we're following Jesus and we realize maybe we need a little course correction here and there. And I'm really excited that God's word is going to help us with that this morning. So Luke chapter 9, verse 18 and following. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now, in Luke chapter 9, a little bit earlier, King Herod is described by Luke as kind of asking the similar question, like, who is this guy? There's confusion about the identity of Jesus at this point. And Jesus, of course, knows this. And so he's asking the question of his disciples. I know the crowds and the people. They're kind of wondering who I am. They're questioning. They're trying to figure things out. But he poses the question to his own disciples. And I think this is really interesting because Jesus so far, he's been walking with his disciples for quite some time. And this question might seem a little bit odd. I mean, shouldn't they know by now who Jesus really is? I mean, why does Jesus feel like he needs to ask this particular question? question. They've witnessed how he's healed people. He's proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and he, he's, he's raised people from the dead, and, and he's talking in all of these profound and authoritative ways that are so unique and so different that, of course, aren't the disciples picking up on who Jesus is? And yet, at the same time, Jesus wants to clarify his identity to his disciples because, you know, there's confusion out there. There potentially might be confusion in-house. And notice that many of the crowds think of Jesus and they think, oh, he's like John the Baptist who'd just been beheaded two chapters ago. 
Or, or maybe he's Elijah, you know, the Old Testament prophet that demonstrated mighty works as well. He seems a lot like Elijah, one of those others prophets from long ago. And so people are questioning, they're wondering, who is Jesus? What is he about? And what is he doing? And notice, Peter actually answers correctly. This is really significant, right? And you think in the midst of all this kind of confusion and this fanfare about who is Jesus, Jesus would then turn to his, his little beloved disciple Peter and say, yes, boy, you got it right. But notice, Jesus doesn't say that. Verse 21 and following. Instead of affirming Peter, he says this. It says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He warned him not to tell anyone. Now, why on earth would Jesus say that? I mean, the Messiah is here. I mean, the Messiah means the anointed one. And the Messiah is a reference, of course, as we've been talking about for the last several weeks and months, the Messiah is the anticipated deliverer of Israel. All of these people in Israel were hoping and waiting that God would come and restore the nation of Israel because of his covenant with them. And yet here they are, they're living under Roman oppression and there's things going on in the temple that people aren't happy about. And so there's all these communities of people that are arguing and discussing and anticipating this coming Messiah. Will he be a political ruler? Will he be a military commander? There was all of these kind of thoughts that he might be something like that. And in fact, in the last couple of centuries, there were a lot of self-proclaimed messiahs coming around that, of course, were killed. And so you can imagine a lot of people are confused, and yet here is Peter saying, you are the true messiah. And Jesus says, don't tell this to anyone. Why? Well, scholars debate this a lot, but one of the things I believe we get from this text is maybe, just maybe, Jesus knew that the kind of Messiah that Peter and his disciples were looking for was different than the kind of Messiah Jesus actually was. And for them to go around telling people about Jesus being this Messiah might give people the wrong impression, and it might indicate that they have no idea what this actually really means, and for them as well. Notice what he says in verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man, again, this is a reference to Daniel seven thirteen, a messianic passage, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Now, this seems a little bit different than kind of the other messianic expectations, maybe, right? You know, if Peter's thinking, oh, you're the Messiah, I'm one of the 12, I mean, I'm going to get to be a part of the ruling party here, I get benefits from being close to Jesus. And here Jesus wants to make it very clear what's about to happen. He's predicting his death, his rejection, and his ultimate resurrection. This is a crucified Messiah, a Messiah that would come to be crucified. Now, think about this. Have there ever been times in your life where you got into something knowing like, oh yeah, this needs to happen, and then you look back and you go, whew, I had no idea what that all meant. You know, some of us, you got married, right? You're like, I met the one, 
And after you started that relationship, realized, whoo, I had no idea how much work this would take. I had no clue what this would cost to me personally. And yet it's so good. And some of us, we, maybe we did a home renovation. We thought, oh, you know, so we need to upgrade the kitchen. We need to do that. And we got into it and we realized in hindsight, wow, I had no idea what that would all entail. The time, the money, the sacrifice. Well, in a similar way, here is what Jesus is communicating to them. You have no idea right now the kind of Messiah that I am. Let me clarify for you. It's a Messiah that's going to go and die be rejected by the religious establishment, the Sanhedrin, and be raised to life again. So, at this point in time, uh, apparently, having the right answer is not enough. Apparently, Peter, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, is not enough at this point for Jesus to go, yes, he's like, let me clarify exactly what this means. And so, we move on from there as well. Notice we continue on the nature of this call. What does this actually mean for these disciples? What does this actually entail as a result of what Jesus is saying he has to do? Notice this in verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my student, my follower, whoever wants to come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me daily. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, is this a great recruiting phrase here? I mean, is this like, hey, let's go. I, let, come on, baby, let's follow me. This is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. I'm going to meet all your needs, and it's going to be great. Imagine if you were one of the disciples, and you had this picture of what the future was going to look like with Jesus as Messiah restoring all Israel, how absolutely shocking this would be, and yet how profound the implications would be on your own life. He's saying, if you want to follow me, there's a huge cost. There's a huge cost. And you have to know that you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and you need to follow me. So what exactly does that mean, to deny yourself? Well, in Roman society, you grew up in a network of relationships. You had relationships that were based upon the law of reciprocity. I do this for you, you do this for me. Mike has talked about this a lot, the patron and the client relationship. You were also defined by your family of origin, So you are looked upon and you are identified based upon all these different things. And so what Jesus is saying here that's very, very profound is he's saying, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be one of my disciples, if you want to receive the gift of my salvation, the response needs to be this. It needs to start by denying yourself. It means you need to take off all the ways in which you thought of yourself before based upon what the world says about you, what you think about you, and now you replace it with what I say about you and what I determine you to be. The second thing you notice is, he says, you got to take up your cross daily. And we are familiar with this phrase, right? Taking up your cross, this idea of the cross. In the Roman context, if you are going to go ahead and be crucified, which is a horrible, horrible way to die, which, of course, Jesus is going to go do on all of our behalf, 
If you were to be crucified, you would actually be sentenced in one particular area, and then you would be given the cross beam of the cross and loaded on your shoulders, and you would have to carry this thing all the way up to your site of crucifixion. So not only are you about to die, you actually have to carry the burden and the weight of your impending death. And what I think is really interesting in this particular culture, if you were condemned to die by crucifixion, you automatically, if you had any type of estate or possessions of any kind, you automatically lost that to the state. Isn't it interesting what Jesus is calling his disciples to? Lastly, it's a daily thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's a regular thing. It's a present denying of oneself and taking up the cross to follow Jesus. So oftentimes in our world as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we think, ah, you know what? I prayed this prayer. I'm good to go. That's all I need. But what we find right here in the text is that the nature of discipleship is not just about having the right answer. It's about following Jesus in obedience. And so today what I want to look at is what are the implications that that has in our view of our own discipleship journey. Some of us in here, we are new to church. We're just checking things out. And I'm so glad that you are. And for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for quite some time. And we just need to be reminded of what it truly means to follow. Because we can get stuck. Or we can get distracted. Or we can get entangled. And here we find that what God has done on our behalf He's the crucified Messiah. He's going to go and die on a cross for the sins of the world as a free gift of grace to us. As a response to that invitation, Jesus has some expectations for his disciples. So, another example of this real quick. As we look at verse 24 through 27, notice what Jesus says. He says, I understand that you're looking at this and you're thinking, okay, this is crazy. This is really costly. But Jesus makes it clear the stakes of discipleship in verse 24 through 27. He wants to make it very clear that as you give up your whole life in reality, when you do that, you will gain your life. Because what happens is when you give up your sense of self, what the world says about you and all that, you will start to find the kind of life that Jesus really wants to give you. It's a life of freedom. It's a life of peace in the midst of chaos. It's a life of joy in the midst of pain. Jesus is offering this to us, but we can't grab a hold of it if we're not denying ourselves in the midst of it. Jesus is making it clear this is a decision that is worth it. And he also says, hey, if you gain the whole world, he uses another analogy, if you gain the whole world, like if you get all the possessions and you get as rich as you can, you know, you become more wealthy than, uh, you know, a a Donald Trump or somebody like that, listen, it's all going to go away. Why? Because life is like Monopoly. It all goes back in the box. Okay? It all goes back in the box. And when it all goes back in the box, what are you going to be standing there with? Jesus wants you to know the stakes, the cost of non-discipleship. He wants us to make that call and that decision, and he wants us to know that actually it's going to benefit you in the long run, as painful as it might seem in the present. And he says, here's the great news. And this is great news. At the very end of that, he says, 
I'm going to come back in all of my glory. And he goes, one of the things you need to understand is if you refuse this call of discipleship, if you're ashamed to be associated with me, if you're fearful what other people might think about choosing to surrender your life to me, the one who's going to die on the cross for your sins, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, those who have been ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. You see, Jesus wants to make it very clear, I don't want anybody to be separated from me. That's why I'm going to the cross. But you have to know if you choose to refuse it, that I'm going to come back in all my glory and all my splendor and everyone's going to bow down whether they did in this life or not. And I really, really want you to know, I want you to start now. I want you to start now. So notice here in Luke 9, verse 43 through 50, at this point, do the disciples get it? Have they figured it out yet? Have they picked up on what Jesus is saying? Notice this, what Jesus says. He says it again. In verse 44, he says, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Isn't it interesting that Jesus has to say this again to his disciples? Why? Verse 45. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside them. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it's the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Did the disciples pick up on what the the idea of him being a crucified Messiah meant? No, they still didn't quite get it. They were afraid. They didn't understand what that meant for them. In fact, because they knew the right answer that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't have a full understanding of what that meant, they made decisions, they were having arguments that reflected that. They thought, oh, greatness looks like this. It looks like a lot what the world says. But Jesus makes it very clear, nope, I'm I'm the suffering Messiah. I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the one who's going to go and die, even though I created the universe for you. And because of that, as one of my disciples, you need to understand that to be great means to be the least. You see how this affected their understanding of discipleship. And so is there any relevance from this text for us today? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I see right here, out of this text, we've got at least three characteristics I want to look at real quickly of what it means to follow Jesus. Three characteristics of what it means to respond to the grace of God. You have to hear this. Because in a message like this, it is so easy for us to feel this weight and this pressure. I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. No, 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 no. You have to understand, why did Jesus first tell his disciples, I am going to go and die? Because he was the one that is going to offer this incredible gift of forgiveness by his sacrifice. And as he goes and does this, he now invites all of us to respond not only with, it, with intellectual agreement, not only with having the right answer that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, but for those who call themselves followers of Jesus, it requires a response. 
And so there's three characteristics I want to unpack very quickly on what this text shares with us about following Jesus. And here's the first characteristic. Our response to Jesus requires more than the right answer. Our response to Jesus requires more than the right answer. We've just really hammered this up into this point. But so many of us have grown up in the American church, this is kind of how we viewed spiritual maturity. It's how much I know. Uh, The more Bible I know, I'm good. Well, that's a good start. But as we've clearly seen from what Jesus has said to Peter and his disciples, he's looking for them to bear the cross in their own followership of Jesus. You know, being a Christian isn't winning a test. It's not like that. It's far bigger than that. You know, when I got married to my wife, Joy, nine years ago, I made a covenant with her. And that covenant demonstrates my love in all kinds of behavior. So because I love my wife, I married her, I'm committed to her. But, you know, how do I show that love? Well, I serve her. I listen to her. I'm intimate with her. I care about her. I try to be kind to her. Do I do, do, I do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But I'm trying to demonstrate that love. If she never sees that in our relationship, the question then becomes, do I really love her? And so in a similar way, when it comes to this claiming to love God, love Jesus, follow him, are we demonstrating behavior that reflects that commitment and that love for our God? And so is it important for us to have the right answer? Jesus, absolutely, right? That's why we're in here. But it requires more than that. I've mentioned this before. A.W. Tozer, great, great writer from the 20th century, wrote, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Why is that? Because ultimately what you believe about God will translate into behavior, okay? The problem oftentimes in our discipleship is we often claim something, but then the behavior doesn't follow. And Jesus' words here just hit us and say, hey, I want to make sure you get this. It's not just having the right answer. It's following me in obedience. So this is the first characteristic. Our response to Jesus requires more than the right answer. The second thing that we notice is the second characteristic is our view of Jesus impacts how close we reflect Jesus. Our view of Jesus impacts how close we reflect Jesus. So, Although following Jesus is more than just having the right answer, having the right answer does impact the way in which we live our life. Case in point, Peter, look at this Messiah. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're God's Messiah. This is great news. But Peter didn't quite understand what that all meant. He had a partial understanding of the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Jesus was the Messiah who would come and die on a cross for the sins of the world. And that meant something for him as well. And what happens is this is that in our pursuit of God, we've got all these images of who God is, his character, and all that type of stuff. We wonder, okay, and and, and some of us, we've gotten stuck in our picture of who Jesus really is. And we need to be reminded over and over, we need to learn more and more the the character and the quality of who Jesus is because it's going to affect the way we live our life out. Case in point for me, when I was in high school, I was young in my faith. I kind of had an understanding, okay, God is holy, and yet he wants me to share my faith. 
okay? And so I knew that, I knew enough about God to do, to do that. So I'm in high school, I'm in my youth group, and it's senior picture day, and I get this crazy idea. I go, guys, these guys in my youth group, I go, hey, what if we can kind of show people that we love God by wearing white at our senior picture? What was I thinking? What was I drinking? I don't know what was going on. I don't know what came over me, but I just thought, and here's the crazy thing. They actually said, hey, that's a good idea. And so we decided to put on these white shirts. I mean, some of you are in here by the grace of God, and you're looking at me going, Aaron, you're the reason why it's been 20 years since I've even stepped in a church, okay? But, but it's like, I can't believe I thought that. So we wore white at our senior picture, and I won't even tell you the high school I went to, so you you don't look it up, but it's embarrassing, right? I look at it, and at that moment, though, I had a picture of what it means to be holy, set apart for God, and what does it mean to bear witness to him? I had a, I had a partial understanding of that. I lived that out. Now, how many people came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I am so thankful that you did that. I, I just, I learned so much more about who God is that you follow as a result of that. I want to turn my life to Jesus right now, right? Nobody! They were just like, who are these idiots like wearing white? What is that about? So I just think about that. I cringe. I think, oh my goodness. And isn't it so true when we have a partial understanding of who God is, it really affects the ability to reflect who God is to the world. And so let me give you a couple of examples because some of us, we've got these images of God or Jesus specifically, that we've kind of gotten stuck on, and maybe you'll resonate with some of these. And here's the goal. The goal is, is that if you're serious about following Jesus, that part of our responsibility is to throw off the false images of who Jesus is and take on the, the, true, the true image of who Jesus is. Here's a couple. Some of us, we look at Jesus as our buddy, our homeboy, if you will, okay? You know what I'm talking about? All right, we look at Jesus and we go, ah, oh, he's my buddy, he's my friend. Yes and no. Some of us, we look at Jesus and we go, he's somebody I know who's always near, but his words don't really mean that much to me. So I can kind of continue to live the way I want to live, and, and I just know that Jesus is around. And what, what, what happens is we don't take Jesus' true identity as the Savior of the world seriously, and so we don't take his words and trust in them and obey them as a result. And so we get stuck in our discipleship. And so we start to look like people that are a little bit half-hearted in our followership of God, and people see that. So that's one. Another one, Jesus is a cosmic vending machine. Jesus is a cosmic vending machine. I have a need, Jesus can fill it. Okay? Now, again, there's partial truths in there. Can you see that? You know, of course God wants us to come, to come to him in our need. But here's the problem. If we continue to look at Jesus as our vending machine, as, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this, what happens? Our discipleship, our followership, starts to look like, God, get me out of this. God, I can't wait till you get me that. God, I can't wait till you do this to me or get this in my life or whatever instead of, notice this, instead of, Jesus, how can I serve you in the midst of this? How, how can I take my finances and serve you in the midst of this? Jesus, your Lord and Savior, how can I surrender my relationship with this difficult person to you instead of wanting to pull out? Whatever it is, you see there's a, there's a shift there when we have 
a perception of Jesus like that. Here's another one. Jesus is a policeman. Jesus is somebody who's looking over my shoulder and saying, oh, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, oh, oh, oh. And some of us, we are stuck in this rut where we're carrying these heavy burdens and, and we feel bad about ourselves and we're beating ourselves up. We feel guilty all the time. Why? Because we've got this kind of tainted view of who Jesus is. Jesus has died on a cross for you even while you were still a sinner and still continue to sin, Jesus died for you. That's called grace. That's called unmerited favor. That's the God that loves you, that dies on your and my behalf. And there's a couple more we don't have time for, but for some of us, we resonate with some of these. Jesus wants to free us from those false images of who he is so we can experience what life is really supposed to look like and as a result, reflect Jesus more clearly to the people around us. Last one. Last one. The third characteristic I see from this is this, is our life with Jesus consists of daily death to self. Our life with Jesus consists of daily death to self. This is not a fun idea, but when you really start to think about it, it's going to free you up. Because here's the beautiful thing, and I've struggled with this all my life, in my faith, and I will, of course, continue to struggle with for the rest of my life. But it's a lifelong learning process, isn't it? To die daily to our own desires and needs and put Jesus first, that doesn't come naturally, right? But Jesus wants to make it very clear that this is a daily battle. This is a daily decision you've got to make. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the thing that I realized in the midst of this, in the midst of pain and the struggles, and I gotta learn this every single day, is that the more I start saying yes to Jesus and no to myself, things start to happen in my life. The more I say yes to Jesus and no to myself in my life, God starts to show me things. He starts to actually help me experience a new profound sense of freedom. He gives me a new sense of his presence. I can find myself having joy in the midst of of chaos and sorrow. I can find myself able to navigate difficult relationships because my identity is no longer placed in what that person thinks about me. It's placed in what Jesus thinks about me. Do you see what I'm saying? When you start putting death to yourself first and Jesus starts to say, yes, you're starting to get it, you start to experience the freedom that disciples of Jesus have that can start to impact the world. This is another characteristic of following Jesus. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Notice, Paul is responding to the grace of God. You know, discipleship, it's not about just do, 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 do. I gotta earn my salvation. No, no, no. It's about living in light of your salvation. Jesus wants all of us to start walking in his footsteps to experience what that means. Is following Jesus simple? Absolutely. Is it easy? Not at all. Not at all. You know, one of the things that has been really, really interesting is is to look back at my life and notice when I actually say yes to Jesus and just leave the results up to him, God just does amazing things. 
I mean, it, it, it's really, I think back, the whole reason I got into full-time ministry was just taking another step of obedience to Jesus. And there were so many other examples in my life where I was saying no to Jesus, no to Jesus, no to Jesus, but Jesus was patient with me. And isn't that how God does with us? There are things in your life where, where you're continuing to say no to Jesus, me first, me first, but Jesus is saying, oh, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. God, God, trust me, trust me, die to that. You got that relationship that's kind of got the throne of your life over me? I want you to trust me with that. You know, your finances, you're freaking out about that right now. I want you to trust me in that. You know, I've got, you know, the the future doesn't look, you know, clear to you. You're questioning what's gonna happen in 2015. You've been through so much. You gotta just trust me in that. Don't compromise. I want you to trust me. Why? Because I'm the one who went on the cross and died for you. That's why. That's why I want you to die to yourself, to find the life that I have for you. And so for us, as we conclude our time, how does this hit you? Where are you at in the spiritual journey with God? For some of you, this is new. You've never heard this before. This Jesus, maybe you've heard about Jesus before. This is your invitation today to start walking with him, to receive this gift of grace. He offers it to you free, but it's gonna cost you absolutely everything. It's going to cost you everything. And so if that's you in here today, you're going to have an opportunity to pray and receive Christ. For some of you, you've heard this before. But my prayer is that something in this time would resonate with you, that God would speak to you and remind you how much he loves you, he died for you, and he desires so much more for you than a discipleship that doesn't cost anything. For a discipleship that just settles for having the right answers. He wants way more for you and to experience the abundant life that he came to offer you starting right now that goes into eternity. So let me just pray for us that we would all take our next step in a deeper followership of Jesus today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, there is no question this word is for me. There is no question that I need to be reminded constantly that you are the one who sacrificed so that we might have life, that we might have life abundantly. And so, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that for those of us in here that want to start that relationship, that want to experience the forgiveness of our sin, that want to become a part of God's family and start to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, that those of us in here would say, I'm, I'm ready, I'm done, I want to start following. Right now is your time. All you need to do to start this journey is to pray a simple prayer. It's the beginning of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. And you simply pray this, Jesus, I know that you are the Savior. Just say it in your heart. Jesus, I know you're the Savior. Please forgive me for my sin. I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life and to lead my life. I surrender completely to you. For others of us, my prayer for you is this. Jesus, I pray that for those of us that have heard this before, that we would be empowered and inspired to take another step of deeper faith and trust in you. That we would continue to place you on the throne of our hearts and take ourselves off that we would continue to strive to deny ourselves daily and follow after you because you're the giver 
of eternal life. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.